Hey entrepreneurs, are you trying to make bigger profits in your small business? Like many of us, I'm sure you're feeling it. Business is hard. And now more than ever, you need to have a plan to help your business not just survive, but thrive. And it can happen as simply with thinking with the end in mind. I'm Marcia Reiner. I'm a business growth strategist, and I've helped tons of small business owners to establish and implement a tangible plan that guarantees increased profitability, guides your growth, and plans for your future exit. Because a business worth selling is also a business worth owning. And I want to share strategies that I've earned and learned with you on today's Profit with a Plan podcast. But before we get started, I have something new to share with my listeners. I put together an insightful and think outside the box masterclass. This 15-minute training has been specifically designed to help you learn how to grow your firm's revenue and its value by either two times, three times, or even 10 times. Go check it out. It's at www. 10xyourfirm.com. All right, so I'm really excited to have my guest on with me today, Tamara Powell. Tamara is the founding partner of Strategy Law LLP. She advises business owners and real estate investors on all aspects of business transactions, including liability protection, tax planning, and employment issues. Ms. Powell has extensive experience with the formation and representation of corporations. LLCs, LLPs, general partnerships, and limited partnerships. She also handles 1031 exchange, tax planning, and other real estate matters, including purchase and sale agreements and due diligence and reviews and leases. What really makes Tamara different is that she has a real estate license, an MBA, and a background in taxes, which helps her specialties, which is business agreements and entity formations. So Tamara, welcome to Profit with a Plan podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is great. So we met through our uh, collaborative group called Provisors, and you were talking a lot about um, the challenges business owners have when they bring on partnerships and um, the things that they should and shouldn't do. And I thought this would be a really good podcast discussion. But before we get started on that, how in the world did you come into law with an MBA, real estate, tax business? I mean, are you an overachiever on education? <laughs> uh, a little bit. Um, maybe I'm a late bloomer. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do for a while. So, uh, yeah, I, believe it or not, I started at UCLA as a pre-med student, and that only lasted one quarter, and I decided that none of it was interesting to me. Um, and so for a while, I just bounced around different majors until I decided I wanted to go to law school. And once I was in law school, I started working for a lawyer who was an absolute terrible business person. He was so disorganized. The business was not well run. And I thought, man, I'm never going to do this. I, you know, I need to go into business. And I got my MBA. And then I started doing the tax consulting at Price Waterhouse. And finding all of these projects that were really legal based. And I realized I think like a lawyer, I don't belong here. And I went from there into a law firm down in downtown San Jose that had a split between um, the litigators and the transactional people. And I landed up with my tax background in the business transaction side. And what I found then was I could do the partnership agreements or the corporations or LLCs. Um, and then they would pass off the rest of the project to a real estate lawyer. 
And that got frustrating for me as well, because if you're working with a group of investors, for instance, that are buying real estate, or if you represent a company that's looking at negotiating a lease, I really wanted to be able to do the whole deal and not pass it off. So at that point, I kind of went back and got my broker's license and uh, started my own firm so that I could do both parts of the transaction, kind of have my feet in both areas. And I really enjoy that. It's fun to be able to do the whole project and be kind of the primary advisor for my clients. You know, that's super important when you're working with um, challenging uh, relationships and difficult uh, nuances of a deal to be able to work it from A to Z and be able to understand everything that's going on rather than piecemealing something and going, okay, well, I only do this box here. Goodbye, take it off to the next person. So I, I agree. I think being the primary advisor in your role would be much more valuable to a business to be able to know that she knows the nuances that we have and we don't have to re-explain ourselves every time we go to a new portion of the, of the process. Yeah, and my business experience helped as well. So I have formed multiple partnerships for law firms I've been a part of. I have formed an LLC for my own real estate investment that I've done with my husband over the years. And I've worked with my own family's business. So I've got a lot of familiarity with family business issues as well. And all of those really come into play when you're advising clients, because although you're not supposed to advise on business decisions, really strategy has to include both the legal side and what makes sense for the the business and the business owners. You really can't do that in a vacuum. And that takes lots of experience in different areas. I love it. I love it. So um, one of the things that caught my attention when we were talking before and, um, you know, having that business experience and and watching the formation of companies and the division of companies, I mean, aren't we kind of marrying the person that we have as a partner on here uh, that we bring into the company? In many respects, partnership (laughs) is a marriage. Uh, I've talked about that with my own partners. You know, we we got a place together, we moved into it, we spend more time with them than we do with our spouses very often, at least we did before COVID. We have dependents, we share retirement plans, not just the 401k and profit sharing plans, but actual how we plan to retire and transition is incredibly important when you're dealing with your partners. So yeah, in many respects, it is a partnership that is a marriage in a business sense. Um, and to the point where I once felt it was the right time to leave a partnership. Mm. And I had one of my partners stand up and essentially yell in front of the group, she's breaking up with me. And <laughs> so it shows you how it is very incredibly personal. Mm. It is. So if we look at the partnership relationship as, as something that all business owners know, you know, a marriage or probably know is a marriage. When we're looking at building that relationship, isn't that the best time to lay out all the problems that it could occur because you're kind of in that honeymoon phase, you know, oh, I love you. You love me. We're going to do this fantastic thing together. You know, they often aren't thinking about the bad stuff that can happen, right? Absolutely. And I think it's critical not just to do it as a prenup before you get married into this business marriage. Uh, where you can sit down and think about all of those issues, but also 
partnerships change over time, businesses change over time, and it's incredibly important to revisit it, uh, just like you would revisit your trust or estate plan, because life changes and it's, it's not the same plan that you needed 10 years ago when you've now added potentially other owners or business partners, or it's now a $10 million business where it used to be a startup. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of issues that can come on that you're not you're not guessing or you're not thinking about. And so I, I agree, the content, constant reevaluation of the goals of the entity, which is the company, and how you're going to work it going forward are really important. Um, what are some of the what are some of the skills that that we want to, or what are some of the challenges that we want to face when we're forming the partnership? And maybe we can go through some phases of, you know, the the prenup or the early partnership to the middle partnership to the end. Um, what are some of the challenges in the early partnership that maybe folks aren't thinking of when they're when they're setting it up? Yeah, um, there's very much they're not thinking about because they just don't know how it's going to turn out yet. Uh, so when you first start a partnership, one of my first recommendations is right out of um, the book, The E-Myth, or The E-Myth Revisited. He had, Michael Gerber in that book, had a fabulous recommendation to draw out the org chart of your business for what it looks like when it's done. And I actually did that with one of my early partnerships. We sat down and we drew out, there were only two of us, but okay, who's in charge of HR? Who's in charge of IT? Who's in charge of the bank accounts and the tax returns and all the financial stuff? And all of those came out easily. It was like, yep, that's my strength. I'll do that. That's your strength. Okay, you're on that. And the one position we didn't know, and we both kind of came to the meeting with that score blank was who's the CEO? And I felt very strongly in my head that it was me, but I wasn't willing to put that there because we hadn't discussed it. And actually we sat down at this meeting and we kind of looked at the charts that we had each drawn out and we laughed because he said, that's clearly you. And we both agreed, put my name in that box. And then I felt I had his empowerment to go ahead and act that way, knowing that he's in charge of IT and HR. And so I'm not gonna step on his toes in those areas, but in general, he's comfortable with me taking the firm, managing it and moving forward. And that's an incredibly helpful way to start is by just trying to you know, divide and conquer from the very beginning and not try to do everything together. Do you think, do you think many companies start off and say, we're gonna co- run the company so that every decision we have to decide together. I mean, I would think that would be something, you know, inexperienced shows, but also they're trying to be fair to each other. That wouldn't work though, right? I mean, if you have to make a decision together on every on everything that goes on. I would say the vast majority of two-person businesses that start out come to me and say, that's the plan. We're just going to agree. <laughs> and I have sure. never... Yeah, I've never seen one survive um, the maturity of the business. Something has to change. Yeah, so there has to be somebody who's leading in a specific department. And I love that you brought up Michael Gerber's, um, you know, org chart. That is so important. And people always, you know, put people higher up when they should fill the bottom side of it. But it's important to be able to notice where the gaps are and who's going to lay out those responsibilities 
responsibilities. And, and then that means that that's okay. You know, if, if there's a problem, we know who to go to and we know what's, what the, the situation is. Um, but I think it's so true that, I mean, I would think people would just come in and go, okay, we're going to go 50, 50, right? Not 51, 49. Somebody has to be the final person at that early age to have the final answer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Or they at least have to have a mechanism in place for what happens if they don't agree. Ah. Because it's very difficult if you don't agree on something major, because just by definition, something major means it's important to you. And mm. if you don't agree on that, what happens? Because it doesn't mean you can just not do that thing and continue to move forward the way you were before. Yeah, I don't like the taxes. So we're not going to do taxes any farther. So <laughs> something silly like that, right? Um, but I like that. And I like the early discussion of it. And, you know, I have you on the show because like taxes and like bookkeeping, this is not something that the business owners should be doing themselves. This is something you need to have a professional from the outside come in and discuss the things that the partnership may not have been made aware of, you know, or not know, you know, because what you don't know, you don't know, but that's, that's a professional that comes in and develops this kind of agreement. Do you, I mean, do you often have folks come in or do they come in afterwards and go, oops, we should have come to you earlier? Both. I have many that come in first and want to talk about the options, think about it for a little while, come back to me with some answers or just have a really long meeting or conference call and then have me put together a draft for them to consider. And then they review it, talk about it and we come back. And that's the way it really should work. Mm. But in in today's internet age, the vast majority of startups are just created online and they think they can do it themselves. And what happens is one of two things, either they don't finish it, you know, they might do part and not realize all of the things that they never did, or they do something really wrong that they just mm. didn't realize they were doing. And I can give you some examples of that, but either way, it costs a lot more to fix it later because then you've got to undo things or you've got to try to fix things that weren't filed. And some things just aren't fixable. There are some deadlines for tax filings and securities filings that you've just missed if you try to do it yourself and you don't do, read all of the fine print from whatever site you went on to help you with that. You and know, a lot of those forms, you, you can't just sign the forms they give you, right? That's, there's no one size fits all for this stuff. You know, and it's so true because people will go out to the internet and they'll try and form their own in hopes of saving or at least thinking, oh, we got this. We're a happy couple right now. We can do this. And, and they miss some big holes um, or do things wrong. Uh, and I love the idea that it is so much more expensive to fix something than it is to do it right the first time. And then, you, you know, the expert will come in and ask those questions that maybe you haven't thought of. So great point on that. So when you're forming um, a partnership, how long would one expect? I mean, you mentioned you're going back and forth and then there's probably fees and so on. What would one expect to form a partnership the best way? As far as legal fees or time? And time, primarily time. You know, that really depends on who's involved. So we have some where they come to me, they say, tell us what makes sense. 
I put something together for them and you know, we can have a partnership agreement within a week. And then sometimes they say, look, this will work initially and we'll revisit this in a couple of years when we have some money, because right now we don't have any idea of what we really need and we don't have the funds to try to guess with lots of you know, details in a partnership agreement. Mm-hmm. So they kind of do a starter agreement and that's pretty like simple. It. Yeah, others, you know, we will have sometimes more institutional partners or just more experienced partners uh, or shareholders that each have their own legal counsel. And then we can land up in extensive negotiations where everybody is getting their attorney's opinion on this agreement and we have to come back together. And in that case, I almost act more like a mediator uh, to make suggestions. So it really does depend on the parties involved. And, and the, the, yeah, the experience of the parties. Okay, so we've formed our partnership and we're chugging along. When would it be a good time to review that partnership? Whether we had the startup or we had maybe a little bit more than the startup, when would be a good time in the life cycle of a business to go back and reevaluate that partnership agreement? Yeah, I mean, ideally you would read it once a year and just get a feel for whether it still fits. Uh, but nobody really does that. So, uh, yeah, I would say it depends on how fast moving the business is, how quickly things are changing. Mm. Um, so, for example, if there is a life event uh, in my own partnership, thankfully, I, I have an incredible relationship with my partners. And we had one partner a few years ago who came down with a fatal illness. Oh. And at that point, we looked back at the agreement and thought, you know, it doesn't matter what our rights are under this agreement. We're going to do the right thing for him. And we, after the fact, amended it to, again, keep the rights to, you know, have the flexibility to make sure the business continues, but also because we noticed several things when we went back and revisited for that life event. Um, So, yeah, I think it depends, but it's a good idea once a year with your strategic planning to just open it up again and remind yourself what it says and see if it still fits. You know, that's a really good point. Life events do occur, whether it's um, what what are the life events, death, disability, divorce. Um, You know, there's there's all sorts of things that could happen in that relationship. And if you're a 50-50 partner and carrying 50-50 of the load and one of them gets sick, then then the other person has to step up or there's got to be a position to fill them. But what about in your example, what about his or her family and the value of the company and everything that you've got going? I mean, these are things you should plan for just in case, right? Absolutely. I have one client that I'm working with right now. It's very unfortunate, but they were two people, 50-50, started a corporation, about a decade ago. And up front, they formed it online and didn't have money to fix it. And they said, no, we can fix it later. So I had recommended a shareholder agreement, which deals with those life events, death, disability, divorce, retirement. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, they kicked the can down the road and said, we'd do it later. And instead, they just needed some help with their form contracts to get the business up and running. And so we kicked it down the road and one of the partners just died unexpectedly in his forties from a heart attack. Hmm. And as a result, you know, the first call was to me, what are my rights and what are the widow's rights? And, you know, all of this stuff, they're now stuck with the default corporations code 
which you don't have the right to get bought out of a company that you invested. So mm. there's some conflict there. You either are going to be partners with his widow for the indefinite future, or you have to just come up with some sort of agreement with her. And no one's going to feel like that's very fair because she's going to feel she wants more or the value the company's worth more. And the remaining business owner is suffering because he no longer has his 50-50 co-owner who is doing half the work and therefore earning half the money. So now we, we get into the situation where you have to decide how much do people earn for doing the work and how much do they earn for having the shares. And it becomes very uncomfortable because you have you know, very differing perspectives. Uh, exactly. And the flip side is that what happens to the business itself when they have to write a big fat check and pay out the whatever benefits that were agreed upon, that's detrimental to the company. And do they have to sell stuff? Do they have to take it out of their savings? Do they have to, you know, I mean, where does that money magically align with? And those without that plan end up suffering. And correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard that a significant number of businesses that have this kind of life event struggle or, or, or close. That doesn't surprise me. I don't know the statistics on that, but I see the ones that did plan in advance. They have a path. We always put terms into the agreement. So for example, if somebody dies, this is how you calculate what the purchase price is for their shares. The company can decide, is it mandatory to buy those shares or is it the company's option to buy those shares? And then if we do choose to buy those shares, we give them time to pay so mm. that they either have time to go get a loan or they have time you know, over five years or more, uh, depending on the size of the payout, so that it doesn't break the bank and doesn't cause the business to fail because that's not fair to the remaining business owners. Exactly. And, you know, the widow on the other side is thinking, okay, life's, life's changed dramatically. I need money. And she's, she, he's pushing one way, the other one's pushing the other way. And what a horrible place to be in when you could have avoided it by having a simple conversation early on in the relationship to address the potential problems that could occur. And um, I think that that's, that's uh, definitely sad when those companies, um, that kicked it down the curb or um, didn't plan at all. So great. Yeah. And part right. of that process, when we talk about a buy sell is to discuss insurance, oh, because right. just like you get insurance for your spouse at home, you know, at some point when your kids are grown and college is paid for, and you've got a retirement nest egg, you may not need life insurance at home, but the business may need it even more as you become more senior and the business is relying on you. And as a tax professional, there's lots of benefits to having company paid um, uh, insurance for it. So there's options that way. It doesn't have to be on the on the back of the, the two owners, but the company can own it. So there's lots of different options there, which I think is super important to have that conversation. And, and when building the relationship and then reviewing it on a regular manner. Um, and if you don't do it every year, okay, but do it every few years, right? Um, especially when life changes happen, because as we're growing our business, we're hiring people, we're changing management, we're delivering products, we're growing in revenue size and company value size. 
And that may not have been reflected in the original agreement. So I think it is, I agree that it's super important. And if you don't do it every year, do at least do it every couple of years. So, all right, so let's kind of wind um, a little bit closer to retirement and discussing those kind of options of how you continue the legacy of the business as the primary owners start to age out maybe. Yeah, and that's a huge one, especially during the last few years with COVID. We've seen a lot of people all of a sudden decide it's not as much fun to work and it's time to retire. Um, and it really depends on the type of business you're in. But even if you're only just selling widgets, you really need a transition plan for the founders that are still intimately involved in managing the firm. If they haven't created the next generation of leaders, they've done the company a disservice and they're going to have to go find a buyer most likely. Mm. So that's the, the question. Um, are you going to transition to the next level of people that are working in the company? Are you trying to transition to the next generation of family owners if it's a family business, which mm -hmm. can create a lot of issues, especially with the non-family owner employees? Yeah. Or are you going to sell the business? And if you're going to sell the business, you need to be thinking about that in advance as well. You can't just make a last minute decision and expect to get full value. You need mm, to really great. prepare for a sale. And the ideal time to prepare for transition, from what I understand, is at least five years, if not longer. Is that accurate? Pretty accurate? Yeah, any kind of transition, whether it's people or a sale, you do need, I would say, three to five years to plan uh, because it can drastically vary the results of what you get in the end. I agree. You know, I don't sell businesses, but I talk and work in that area quite frequently. And the value of the company can really, I mean, especially if you're planning on it for your retirement, right? A lot of times you'll go to your financial advisor, the financial advisor will go, okay, here's your stock and bond portfolio, your retirement through your company. And, but as us business owners, we're not thinking so much about the retirement funds in our company. We're thinking, I have a business asset, if we're thinking smartly. Then how do they exit that without, with, without having a number and without ensuring that that number is going to be payable, you know? Um, the last time, like you said, the last time you want to sell is, is in a reaction um, type market where you haven't done any transitional planning, but this can all be done through a partnership agreement, right? You can, you can, as part of the documents, you can discuss how we do this and how we evolve in the company, right? Well, absolutely. It's like discussing management and discussing money. You need to discuss when we add people to this business and what we do when people need to leave this business and mm. how that affects the valuation. And it makes a huge difference because there are some business owners that get this unrealistic expectation that I can stop working because I'm older and the rest of you, I, you know, I handed you this favor, so you should keep paying me. And mm. what we saw a lot in the last few years in particular is the next generation of people in the company saying, well, we don't really need that senior person to do this. We have the relationships. So if it's too expensive to stay and pay the senior partner or the you know, founder this large chunk of money he expects every year without really participating anymore, let's just leave and start our new thing on the side and we can be just as successful pretty quickly. 
And that's how many businesses are born. Wow. See, I didn't even think of the exit and in in terms screwing the founder out of out of his money because he thought he would be able to re- receive a, a a monthly stipend for his uh, for his business that he started and then the kids or the younger ones just go bye see you later that's interesting so again to protect yourself as the founder you have an agreement that says this is how it is and you know when we talked about insurance a, a short while ago I don't sell insurance but I know that there are products and opportunities that the company can have when a life um, event occurs that the owner, the founder can walk away, right? And take the assets with them without totally damaging the company. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to think of the evolution. And, And if we circle back and talk about this is a business marriage, right? You've got to talk about how you're going to, how you're going to end it and break it off and, 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 and separate happily. You know, because you've got the the business is still your child, right? <laughs> and yeah, and, and if and we have a buy sell, yeah, uh, if we have a buy sell agreement in place, then even if we're back to that original 50-50 partnership that no, is no longer working, you know, even if we don't get all the way to the retirement, uh, it's so important once you've built up some goodwill in a business to let somebody keep it and somebody get value for it. So if you both can't have it uh, and you don't have some sort of agreement and you're now fighting, chances are it just implodes and nobody gets it. And that's really doing everybody a disservice. It's so much better if one person can keep the business and the name and the goodwill that they've built up and the other person can get paid for what they helped start. Like it. You know, it, there's, there's so many other important reasons why you want to have these business agreements. And it's not just for the two owners or three owners or however many owners that are involved, but in thinking more, right? You've got your employees that are, are depending on you to continue and you're, you're caring for their livelihood. But what about the customers on the outside that use your product or service on a consistent basis? And now all of a sudden, for some reason, you shut the doors. Where are you taking them? You know, where do they go now and replace your service and products that they used on a regular basis? So I think this idea of having a business is not just about the two owners going at it, but it's about the generation down and the community that they serve. And I think it's so important to be able to think through these things so that, you know, you have a good, you have a good plan, you have a good strategy that enables the world to continue now that, you know, with or without your business. And I think that that's something that, that is often missed. Do you engage people and talk about how the, the legacy of the company will continue? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we call those people the stakeholders. They may not be shareholders, but they certainly mm-hmm. have a stake in how the business does and how it survives. Uh, I worked with one company recently where the two um, partners essentially had split and one started a competing business, but they that was part of their deal. It's like, yes, it's a service provider. So you can go do your services. I'll go do my services. The clients choose who they want to work with. But the head, essentially COO for this company, uh, that wasn't her actual title, but the COO decided to go with one of the business owners over the other. 
and was really concerned that now I'm just really working for a company that's dependent on this one person. And what if something happens to that one person? I am now putting all of my eggs in his basket. And so it was a really interesting discussion. What we did is we sat down and said, well, what keeps you up at night? And her concern was if something happens to him, this whole business is going to fall apart. I'm left with all of these stakeholders, the employees, you know, as well as the lease and all of the clients and all of these things we have to deal with. And yet there's no money coming in anymore because the main professional services provider is gone. And so where does that leave me? I'm in a really uncomfortable position where I'm essentially working for free to clean this mess up because he's gone. Mm. And we ended up getting a policy of insurance on his death owned by her, not by the company. And it was not a big policy. It was a few hundred thousand dollars to cover essentially a year of her salary so that she could continue to get paid for a year uh, or at least have those funds, she would feel comfortable that she would have the funds she needed for the year in order to do what she had to do to shut down or transition or sell this company to take care of all of those stakeholders. And that was enough to help her sleep at night and commit to supporting him in this new business 100%. Wow. See, I would never think of the employee, the key employee, that needed the assurance from the owner. It's normally the other way around that I've heard, you know, the owner buys the key, the the insurance policy on the key provider or the key man, because if they're gone, then the business has trouble running. But I like the other idea around that. And I think there's options. There's tons of options that unless you talk to someone like yourself, Tamara, that's a professional and has seen things in the past and knows the dark corners to look into, you're going to be missing and you're going to have some blind spots in the agreement on how your company can run and how to keep the employees and the key people together. So very interesting. This has been a great conversation. Tamara, where can listeners find out more about you and Strategy Law? Uh, So you can find us on our website at strategylaw.com, or you can find me, Tamara Pau, on LinkedIn. And you can follow Strategy Law or me on LinkedIn if you want updates, blogs with little ideas like this, or tax uh, updates for partnerships or businesses that may affect you and may give you some update that you didn't know about that you need to keep your business running the way it should. Awesome. And I would encourage listeners that if you have a partnership that you haven't looked at the agreement in at least the last couple of years, it's time for a review. And great companies like uh, like Strategy Law can help you out with that. So I would encourage you to pull out the pull out the, the binder, pull out the folder, review through it, have a sit down conversation, just like your annual and quarterly and monthly business planning. You should be looking at how your business is Uh, the agreement with the partnership that is there together. So great stuff. All right, listeners, I hope you found an idea or two to put into your business that will help you be more profitable and prepare for the outcomes of the business marriage and making sure that it stays strong. It's got an open line of communication and it's evolving with your business as it goes along. All right. So you have a practice and a business, and growth is an important function of every successful business. Now we're, ta- we're not talking about market domination, but growth is super important 
or your firm will struggle. So I encourage you to register for my new free 15-minute training on how to grow your firm's revenue and its value. You'll always, uh, you'll, you'll get the business that you've always dreamed of. You'll have more freedom, more money, and an easier to run business. So go register for free at www.10xyourfirm.com. You won't want to miss this class. And Tamara and I would love to hear your questions or comments. Share some stories or, or just put something out there th about your partnership agreement, your relationship with your partners. And Tamara and I will answer your questions and respond with feedback. So go ahead and comment on today's show. And don't forget to subscribe. You don't want to miss future podcasts. And as always, you can catch Profit with a Plan on any of your favorite podcast players. And we're looking forward to more great profitable information on next week's show. So until then, make your plans and profit with them. Thanks so much, Tamara.